In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and she was relaying a story to me about her mother, who had been in a nursing home for a while. And one night she got a call telling her her mother was unresponsive and that she should come as soon as she could. Well, the nursing home was a ways away down in New Jersey, and she lives in upstate New York. So she got in her car and she went down to the nursing home fully expecting that this was probably the last time she was going to see her mother. And when she got there, her mother was, in fact, unresponsive. And she sat vigil next to her bed through the night. And in the morning hours, the mother began to revive. And by the time breakfast rolled around, she was up eating oatmeal in the dining room. And she stayed a few more days, and her mother just continued to get better and better and better. So this scenario has repeated itself, and it's caused real problems for my friend because she's become somewhat paralyzed in her own life, and her own life has been put on hold. And it wasn't until one of the hospice workers at the nursing home gave her a pamphlet on something that is called anticipatory grief. This was so helpful to this woman to know and to name the feeling that she was having, anticipatory grief. And when she told me about that, I thought to myself, I've had those feelings before. We've probably all had those feelings before, but I've not had a way to name those feelings or to understand how those feelings can affect us in our own lives. I have another friend who, he and his wife have one child, a daughter. They had difficulty bearing children. They got this beautiful gift of this beautiful daughter of theirs who's now 14 and in ninth grade in high school. The quintessential perfect child. She plays violin, she plays piano, she does soccer, she's on the ski team, she doesn't mouth off to her parents. You know, maybe, maybe down the road still, we don't know. But at this point, she is the perfect little girl, what everyone would want. And I noticed that her father was having a beginning to really have a problem in the relationship with her. And the problem was that he was experiencing already some anticipatory grief because he was thinking about her going off to college and that he's only got really three and a half years left with her. And he was trying to kind of hang on to her in a way. And that although he loved her very much, he started to become controlling. And she didn't understand why he was behaving this way. But it was out of his own grief and fear and anxiety that he wanted to keep her close because at some point down the road, he knew he was going to have to let her go. He was experiencing anticipatory grief. It can be paralyzing. It can change our behavior. It can cause us constant worry and anxiety. Now, if there was ever a person who would be justified in having anticipatory grief, it would be Mary, we hear in the Gospel. And she probably was experiencing some of those feelings because Jesus had come to their house for dinner 
And they all knew that the authorities were after Jesus. And the reason the authorities were after Jesus was because Lazarus had been raised from the dead, which happens earlier on in the gospel. And that raised the eyes of the authorities saying, who is this person and what is this person doing? And he's causing all kinds of problems. And we've heard he's raised this person from the dead. We need to go after him. And of course, Jesus is stopping at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus on his way to Jerusalem. So he's heading toward the authorities who are out to get him. And he stops and he has dinner. And not only, I would think, that both Martha, Mary, as well as Lazarus were probably in a little bit of a panic and anticipating the loss of Jesus, knowing full well what the authorities were capable of, and maybe even feeling responsible because it's what Jesus did for Lazarus that got Jesus in trouble in the first place. Now, as we all know, we can't control the feelings that we have. Feelings come unbidden to us. But we can somehow take those feelings and acknowledge them and then decide how we're going to be. And what Mary does and what Martha does are two acts of incredibly wonderful discipleship in the face of what's coming. Martha, good old Martha, still in the kitchen, She's been there forever. She's the one making dinner. She's still making dinner. Somebody's got to make dinner. While Mary, of course, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know, lucky Mary. She's lucky she's got Martha. Anyway, Martha makes a meal for Jesus. And what Mary does is give Jesus the most extravagant, over-the-top gift that she can give. She takes the most expensive perfume she can find a very large amount and she does this incredible action of over-the-top generous love to Jesus. We never hear her say don't go to Jerusalem. We never hear of the expression of the anxiety she was probably feeling for Jesus. What she does in this moment is she loves him. And she does it through this expression of anointing. How incredible if the action we take in the midst of any anxiety or fear or uncertainty are actions of love. And that how healing potentially for Mary that action of love was. That in the anointing of Jesus' feet, which Further down in the gospel, Jesus anoints the disciples' feet. So what Mary is doing is an act of discipleship, and an act of discipleship is one founded in love. So I'm thinking, what allows Mary to be able to do that in the midst of what was probably her fear, her guilt, her anxiety? It's because she knows that she is anointing the resurrection Jesus, the one who has power over death, because she's seen Jesus' power over death with the raising of her own brother. 
and that somehow in the midst of all of her fear and anxiety, she knows that Jesus has power over death. And if he's walking to his own death, there must be some power that goes beyond. We also know this. We are an Easter people. And that even though we are preparing to walk ourselves through Holy Week, that we will come together on Thursday night of Holy Week and celebrate the Last Supper, that we will hear about the crucifixion on Good Friday, that we are walking toward Easter that we already know about. Same with Mary. She already had experienced an Easter with her brother. We are Easter people in the midst of our grief, our anxiety, our disappointment. We grieve, but we don't grieve without hope because we are an Easter people, because we are gathered around the resurrected Christ, and that's who we walk with, that's who we celebrate, that's who we worship, and that's what gives us energy. We've been studying the creed, and we're at the point where we're coming to the church part of the creed, which, as we heard in the second reading today, can be defined as community in action. And the community takes action, actions of love, like Mary's action of love, because we gain energy from the risen Christ. And no matter how overwhelming whatever we're trying to do seems, we keep stepping out in love. Steuben County is the poorest county in New York State. We have some churches down there, and they have been desperately trying to feed the hungry. And they've come up with a system where the Episcopal churches go buy some raw ingredients, then they work with the Amish, they go to the bishop of the Amish people, the Amish people prepare a stew. And then Sister Susie, who is a Roman Catholic nun, 83 years old, helps distribute the stew with some of the help of the Episcopalians. They're serving 600 meals a week with a small little workforce. And some of the families that they bring the stew to, this is the only warm meal that they have. Well, our friend Tom Gramley, the priest down in Tri-Parish, came up to see the bishop, and he wanted some discretionary money from the bishop to buy some seed potatoes. He's found a farmer down there who's willing to plant seed potatoes if we, if we bought them and if we paid for the gas for his tractor so that we can, in the fall, harvest potatoes put them in 10-pound bags, and distribute them to some of the families in Steuben County so that they too can have some food at least that they can draw from themselves. So save the first three weekends in October. <laughs> and those of you who have back problems, we'll figure out something for you guys to do. <laughs> but seriously, the whole diocese, we're going to ask everyone in the diocese to go down and dig up some potatoes. I call it the potato project in the first three weekends in October because the bishop bought the seed potatoes. And when we heard the story of the countless people in Steuben County who are hungry 
And although we're overwhelmed at the 600 meals that this tiny workforce is contributing, there are still many more hungry people. But instead of being paralyzed by the overwhelming need, they stepped out and did this action in love, a community in action centered around the risen Christ where they gather their energy. And as we know, it reminds me of the story of the starfish, where the waves have washed all the starfish on the beach, and then there's this man going down the beach, and he's picking up starfish and throwing them back into the ocean, but there's still lots of starfish on the beach struggling, and another man comes by, and he says, you're never going to get all those starfish back into the ocean. You're, you can't possibly make a difference. The man bends down and picks up one starfish. He throws it back in. He said, I made a difference to that one. When we're fearful or anxious or disappointed or grieving, we remember that we are an Easter people centered around the risen Christ who gives us hope because there is power over death.